What a, one, what a fun way to start our morning. Hey, everybody. My name is Paul Knapp. I am the programming director here, and I just have a couple announcements for us today. Uh, number one, uh, we need some more help making this thing happen on Sunday morning. So if you would like to give up, or not give up, if you would like to add to your Sunday mornings once a month, uh, once a month, we could use help in Kidport. We could use help with setup and teardown. Um, and so if you would do me a favor, if that's you, if you could just fill out one of these Connect cards here and just write, I will volunteer. Just write that on there, and we'll get in touch with you. Please add it like a phone number or an email. That would make it easier for me to track you down instead of you know hiring a PI or something like that. But uh, name, phone number, or email, and just I want to volunteer, and we'll reach out to you, and we'll get you connected. Lastly, I want to I want to take a quick second and honor our graduates. Right, this, today is uh, is graduation week, or this is graduation weekend. That's right. Yeah, we have some we have some high school graduates. We live in a community where it's a, it's a it's a real it's a real privilege to have the graduation rates that we do right that that it's almost an expectation uh, that our, our kids graduate from high school but that's not the case around the world that's not the case for everybody in this community and so it is no small thing that that somebody graduates from high school and so we we do want to celebrate that this morning because it's an incredible con accomplishment so we want to we want to say congratulations to Sam Bradaway and Claire Gorley and Elena Hayes, and Riley McVie, and Nathan Marone, and Kristen Miazga, Kimberly Spaulding, and Samantha Vrablick, who have been a part of our community, uh, them and their families who have been a part of the Storyline community. We wish you the best as you enter off into this next really, really, really fun and exciting chapter. So can we give them a round of applause? Can we say congratulations to them? So. Other than that, if you're looking to, if in any way to connect or give or to serve, head over to the hub and we can connect with you that way. Uh, other than that, enjoy your Sunday morning.
job guys oh my goodness Jordan you're gonna have to take a shower next week before this is wow this is like America just divided right down the middle like this bad joke I shouldn't have started that way I'm sorry that's not the wrong foot isn't it okay sorry so good morning and welcome to storylines gathering we're so excited that you're here uh, I'm gonna send a special shout out to one of our graduates in particular his name is Drew Kinney and uh, Drew and his family moved to Florida several years ago, and uh, we have really missed them. And I know that, like many storyliners who've moved away, they keep up with us online. And so, Drew, congratulations, and good luck to you next year at Central Florida University. So, um, last month, we were already meeting outside, and we were rained out on Mother's Day. And a friend of mine could tell that I was kind of bummed about this. And so, he asked me, he said, you know, what's the problem? And I said, oh, Mother's Day is my second favorite gathering of the year. And then he guessed, after Christmas? No. After Easter? No. It's this one. I love this Sunday, graduation Sunday, where we celebrate our graduates. And next week, I will finish my 31st year as a teacher. Now, as weird as that is to have started my career at eight years old, uh, I... Just, I love education, and so this is really fun for me to celebrate what these young people have accomplished. And as a parent, um, I think it's also important to recognize and honor what their parents have, well, let's say, what they've endured, okay? Um, so every teacher will tell you that the most important ingredient in any education is the family. And so to both our graduates and their parents, congratulations. And let me add this little tidbit. Don't dream it's over. Don't even think it's over. There is a reason that they call it a commencement and not a conclusion ceremony. Now, I have two young adult children, and here's one of the things I've noticed. Still parenting. It's true. They've left the house, but it's still parenting. There's a couple here today, in fact, that I know it happens to be their anniversary, and they have a son in his very early mid-50s, who's incredibly talented, really good-looking, and so humble. It's me, okay? And they are still parenting, right? And graduates, the same thing goes for you. Do not dream it's over. Don't dream it's over because real life is about to commence in a very real way, which is exactly where we're going to pick up the story of Jesus as we are reading through the book of Luke together this summer. Uh, last time we were together here, two weeks ago, because we had impact last week, uh, we read in Luke chapter 3 that Jesus is baptized. And he's declared by God the Father as three things we looked at. My child, um, with whom I, uh, whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. And it kind of feels like a graduation ceremony, if you think about it. But as we'll see, it's not over for Jesus, not even close. In fact, it's just beginning. 
So just after he is baptized, this is what the Bible says. And we're picking up now in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. This is what the Bible says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand at the top of the temple, the highest point of the temple, and said, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, and surely God's angels will save you. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Look, we all know that school is a struggle. You have to study. There are tests. And I've known way too many young people who cannot wait to graduate from high school because they believe that the struggle is going to be over. Like, after high school graduation, all of like life is this eternal summer break. Well, I, I hate to break it to you graduates, okay, but it isn't. Life is full of trials and tests and temptations. And I'd like for us to consider three things here from this encounter that Jesus has with the devil in the wilderness that I think can be helpful for us as we commence with life. Three things. One is, when do we struggle? Two, where is this struggle? And three, how do we struggle? Okay, so first point, when do we struggle? So here we find Jesus, verse 1, chapter 4, and he's filled with the Spirit. He's just been baptized. He's affirmed by God. God loves him. He's made it, right? Like, he's arrived. And what's the result? Is it a summer break? Not even close. Not even close. Now think about this. Let's be honest with ourselves. How do we really believe that normal life should go? Like if we live well, if we're wise, if we work hard and we're responsible. Let's be honest. I, th I think we all believe, I know that I do. If we do that, life should go well. Life should be smooth sailing. I mean, this is why in the Old Testament, there's a character in the Old Testament, his name is Job, and when his life falls apart, this is why his friends come to him and they blame him. They say, look, man, you, you had to have done something wrong for your life to fall apart like this. When something bad happens, we always look for a cause. Like, you hear bad news about a friend. Well, were they a smoker? Or, you know, somebody gets in a car accident. Were they speeding? Somebody's always, you know, down and depressed. Are they a Lions fan? There's always, we're always looking for a reason, right? Because here's the assumption. Normal, ordinary life should be smooth and good. That's what we assume. Normal, ordinary life should be smooth and good. And if it isn't, somebody screwed up. Maybe it's you. Probably someone else. But somebody screwed up. I mean, just think about this last year. It would have been bad enough if it was just a pandemic. 
But we have this horribly divisive election, the violent aftermath, and then the, all the, the dismay and riots and, and activism last summer. Now, for Americans, this was all quite shocking. Like, I was watching my young adult children watch this, and they're like, what is going on? Because we're used to, like, the wind at our back, the sun shining, smooth sailing. But do you know what the rest of the world and all of human history is saying to Americans right now? Welcome to life on this planet. Welcome to life on this planet. Because this, last year, has just been a taste, just a whiff of what almost all human beings throughout all of history face all the time. We're just getting just a taste of it. You see, the normal default setting for life is not ease and comfort and pleasure and plenty. It is tests and trials and temptations. Often it's conflict and injustice. Sometimes it's even chaos. The Russian writer, a man named Fyodor Dostoevsky, realizing that we had forgotten this in the modern West, he, he said this. He described what we're experiencing now as a bubble of bliss. And bubbles can pop. I mean, just look at Jesus. He did everything right, and everything went wrong. He did everything right, and everything went wrong. This passage seems to be telling us that life is a struggle. It's not only a struggle, but e even when we do the right things, it's a struggle. Sometimes because we do the right things, life is a struggle. Life is hard. So graduates, I wish that I could tell you that passing your final exams means that the tests are behind you. But the first lesson to draw from the life of Jesus here in this encounter is you are actually now entering into the struggle of life in a much more profound way. So, you know, it, it might be a sign of the times to think that doing everything right will make everything go right in your life. But that sign and our times are wrong about that. They're wrong. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness after doing everything right, which shows us that real normal life is a struggle. And if we aren't ready for that, we aren't ready to commence. Can't grab the door. 
So good. Thanks, guys. So the temptation to get away, I think, is real. To like run from the bullets, as this song says. It, it is definitely a sign of the times. We see it all the time in our life. I think in American life. I mean, nobody believes more than modern Americans that if everything isn't rainbows and unicorns, somebody screwed up. It's somebody's fault. I had a senior last week, just before they left, um, their last day of school, I had a senior last week tell me that she didn't watch the news at all. And I asked her why that was. And she says, it's always about blame. Oh my goodness. I was like, so insightful. Maybe she has learned something after all, right? So, but, but what we see in Jesus' commencement here is that you can personally do everything right. And it just might be that nobody has done anything wrong to you and life is still a struggle. If we can't accept this, if we can't live, like if we can't accept that, we will live our lives blaming either ourselves or others or God or all of the above. So when do we struggle in life? That's this first question. When, when do we struggle with life? The correct answer is, and this will be on the test, people, Always, always, not only, we don't only struggle with life, but it's always a struggle. Hard things, challenging things, really tragic things happen to really good people, really wonderful, beautiful people who they follow the rules, they work hard, they floss every day, they eat kale. And still hard things happen. They get all A's. And the wilderness of struggle awaits us all. Which brings us to this second point, or the second thing I think to consider from this encounter that Jesus is having just after he graduates. And that is, where does this struggle take place? Now this whole passage is about the devil. And I know that in today's world, to stand up here, especially outside where everybody could hear us, that to say there's such a thing as a devil does not go over very well, right? But according to the Bible, there is a devil. Now, evil is an easier sell nowadays, right? You just turn on the news. Everyone accepts that, you know, we see the oppression, we see the injustice, and the evil in the world. But, but what the Bible is showing us here is that if we reduce all evil, all dysfunction, all injustice to like sociological and psychological causes, we are being naive. We are way oversimplifying life and where the actual struggle is taking place in life. Now, I'm not saying the opposite, okay? So I'm not, I'm not saying like everything bad comes from the devil made me do it. I'm not saying that. Certainly much of what was broken in life has sociological and psychological causes that proper treatment and education and policy 
can improve and we should pursue that. But this passage, and I would argue real life, tells us that much more is going on with, in, in life than just that. Than just these causes that we can explain super easily. Now, at the beginning of World War II, our president, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, along with most of the leaders of the free world, simply could not believe that the German Nazis were systematically exterminating Jews. They could not wrap their head around it. Now, they had a lot of problems with the Nazis and with Hitler and their political goals, but they could not get themselves to imagine that they were systemically that they were systematically exterminating the Jews. That would just be too evil. How could human beings act like demons? Well, everything changed for FDR when he read this one book. A minister actually recommended a book to him by a man named Soren Kierkegaard. And Kierkegaard, in this book, he gives a biblical description of evil and where it comes from. And how at times it can overcome and animate human behavior. And that really opened FDR's eyes to how even the German people, of all people, could do this. You see, keep in mind that the German people at this time, they were highly educated. They were refined. They were cultured. They gave us Bach and Mozart. They gave us some of the great philosophers of history. Germany was at the pinnacle of human civilization, yet they were committing this evil. It should be a huge wake-up call. And when I teach history, I always, I always tell my kids this. It should be a huge wake-up call to us that it wasn't backwards countries that are, have horrible economies and backwards governments like Albania or Bolivia or Zimbabwe that gave us the Holocaust. It was Germany. Germany gave us the Holocaust. The Bible and history are telling us that all oppression and injustice and evil cannot simply be chalked up to simple psychological or sociological causes. There is a supernatural force at work, a spiritual component to it. And this is where the struggle with life is really truly fought in the spiritual realm. And for us, on an individual level, that exists primarily in our hearts. In our hearts, where there are two kingdoms vying for supremacy in our hearts. Look, consider the temptations, the actual temptations that the devil puts in front of Jesus in this encounter. There's something very surprising about them. The first temptation, Jesus has just gone through a fast. It's over now. There's no reason that he can't eat. And the devil says, turn the stones into bread. You're hungry. It's nothing wrong with it. Go for it. Food's a good thing. And he makes, the, and he makes a really good point, the devil does, actually. So why does Jesus view it as a temptation? Well, because it would have been the only time in his entire life that he used his power for himself. The only time. The second temptation is to have, the devil wants to give him control of all the kingdoms of the world. Now, isn't that what Jesus came for? I mean, think about it. What could possibly be bad about Jesus being in charge? Right, that sounds pretty good. 
except his mission was to love the kingdoms of the world back toward God through the cross. Not through power, not through government, but through love. And the devil is telling him, I can give you this. I can give you the kingdoms of the world without taking up your cross. See, this is the temptation towards power, and it's the temptations toward you can achieve great things, no struggle. No struggle at all. And the third temptation is to do something spectacular. Climb up to the highest point, throw yourself off of it, and just float down like Superman. You know, land on the one foot with a cape. How that would glorify you, Jesus. People would know who you are. You are. They wouldn't have to guess. They wouldn't have to wonder. And one of my favorite writers calls this the intoxicating power of self-congratulation. The intoxicating power of self-congratulation. And he talks about the great evil that is done when we marry these two things. Look at me doing all this good for you. Look at me. Look at my thing, my cause, my government. What? Me, me, me doing all this good for you little people out there. And this is why Jesus said things like this. When you give to the poor with your right hand, don't even let your left hand know what it's doing. Because Jesus knows how powerfully toxic self-congratulation can be. You see, this is what the devil is doing. This is the temptation. It is not to do something bad or naughty. It's to do something good apart from God. It's to do something good apart from God with no struggle in your own cause, for your own glory. To make yourself look good. So here's the deal. The devil's kingdom is based on this principle. Your life poured out for me. Your life poured out for me. Your life, even, even alleviating your anguish and suffering, are just an opportunity for me to look good doing it. That, that's the devil's principle. But Jesus' way of life is the opposite. It's my life poured out for you. My life poured out for you. This is why another Russian writer, and I love these Russian writers, and do you know why? Because they saw the bubble of bliss disintegrate. So these guys know what they're looking for. Another Russian writer, a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, says this, the line separating good from evil does not pass through this nation and that nation or that class and this class or that political party in this political party. The line separating good from evil runs through each and every human heart. I love that. This is where the struggle takes place in life. My daughter and I talk about this a lot actually. She's off at college and she's playing a sport and to most people, it looks as if she's there to get what she can out of the experience. School, volleyball, friends. But we talk about it being just the opposite. Don't get hung up on grades or being popular or about winning and losing because you aren't really there for that, to see what you can get out of it. You're there on a secret mission to give to love, to serve. So school isn't about getting A's, 
It's about learning so that you'll be better equipped to help people. It's about caring for your classmates. Volleyball isn't really about winning. It's about loving your teammates and your coaches. So her struggle is real, but it isn't on the level to achieve something for her own sake. It isn't a struggle for the GPA or to win some game. It's, it's not on the court or in the classroom. The struggle is in her heart. And will she give? Will she serve? Will she love? That is where her struggle is. And so is mine. And so is yours. And that's what we're seeing in this passage. Now, I know this seems like a really, like, such a heavy downer message, Mike. Jeez, graduation Sunday. Congrats, right? Let's talk about the devil for 45 minutes. <laughs> Yippee. I get it, okay? Uh, it is a heavy message, but if, but if we don't understand that life is always a struggle, and by and large it takes place on a spiritual level in our hearts, we may not reach for, we may not yearn for, or really desperately desire our only hope. Which brings us to the third thing that we see in this passage, which is how do we struggle? Like, how do we fight this battle? And the simple answer is the way Jesus did. So just look at him as our example. Look at how the devil tempted Jesus. He led him up to a high place and he showed him the kingdoms of the world. Now there is no place high enough to see all the kingdoms of the world. So what's going on here? This is evil engaging Jesus at the level of his imagination. Like in his heart is his deepest desires. That's where the, the devil is engaging him. Now, we've done a whole series of talks on this in the past. And it goes like this. According to the Bible, we are what we love. We are what we most deeply desire. We're tempted to think that we are what we think, or we are what we believe, or we are what we say. But we're not. We're not even what we do. Because two people can do the same exact things for completely different reasons. And very different things are happening inside of them. We are, according to the Bible, what we love. We are what we desire most. And this is why, and we see it in this passage, over and over again, the devil takes a good thing. This is his strategy, to take a good thing. And he tries to stoke that good thing in our heart until its desire is our ultimate thing. Until a good thing becomes our ultimate thing. The temptation is not to do something naughty. It is to get us to worship God. I'm sorry, it's to get us to worship good things without God. It's to get us to worship good things without God, apart from our secret mission to love the world right again. That's the temptation. If any good thing in our life, being a parent, our education, our home, some political cause, even our own life becomes our ultimate thing, we are living life on the destructive side of our heart, the dark side of our heart. And you know what? That can drive us. That can really motivate us for a while, right up until it enslaves us, and finally paralyzes us with fear when it's threatened and despair when it's lost. It's no way to live. So how does Jesus struggle against this? 
he quotes the first commandment. This is what he says. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, this isn't God trying to keep something good from us. This isn't God selfishly seeking his own like gl- glory for his own sake. This is God trying to free us from a kingdom that will kill us with the worship of good things. When we worship ease and comfort and pleasure and honor and achievement, it will kill us. When those good things become our ultimate thing, they will kill us because we will turn them into God. We will love them and we will desire them the most. So how do we struggle? How do we fight this battle? With Jesus as our example in the realm of love and desire.
Good job. Thank you, Ellie. Love, love, love that song. It's one of my all-time favorite songs. And Mike says we can only do it twice a year. I'd do it every week if I could. Because this song gets to right to the heart of the matter, which is our heart's desire. Look, if I can leave the graduates with anything today, it's not only to realize that real normal life is a struggle and to recognize that this struggle is between two spiritual kingdoms and which one we will desire in our hearts, but also to remember and to rely on the fact that Jesus is not just our example. He's also our savior. And, and while our life is found in desiring him and his ways, he is not passively waiting to see if we're going to get that right. Jesus is on a mission to save us because we, all of us, are his greatest desire. So my prayer for our graduates and for all of us this morning is that the closing lines of this beautiful song will be our prayer. Listen to these lines again. God, you know me. You know my way. You can't just show me. So God, I pray that you'll find me and that you'll see me and that you'll run to me and never tire. That is desire. We are the desire of God's heart. And because of that, he gave his life so that we could face the tests of life with faith. We could fight the temptations in our hearts with hope and live out the trials of our real lives with a deep desire and love for God and for others. May we all, along with graduates, commence with that glorious and gracious struggle today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time in this place, for this beautiful day, for this opportunity to be together. We lift up all of our graduates today. I'm thinking also of those who graduated from college recently or from trade school or who are moving on from an internship or just entering into a new season of life. Maybe it's a move. Maybe it's just a, a, new, a, a new job, a new location. I pray, God, that you would help us to see it in some way as a commencement, a beginning. Help us to just get, find some peace with the reality that life is a struggle and that that battle isn't to fix what's going wrong outside, but to put you in our, in our hearts in number one position to be our deepest desire. God, I pray that as we leave here today, that you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, folks, and congratulations to the graduating seniors. See you next week.